us pray. Reform us. Retext us. Lord, we live by so many different stories. Stories that tell us that the things that do not give us life, give us life. We pray that you retext us and through your spirit, through these words, these simple four words, you might retext us. Give us a new story, your story, the one that brings life. Amen. So I remember when Walter, our firstborn son, was born over seven years, years ago. And just before he was born, my wife Cheyenne and I swore that we wouldn't be like other parents. We weren't going to be stuck at home. We weren't going to be bending our lives to every single whim of this new baby. We were gonna go out to restaurants and pubs and hang out with friends just like we always did. I remember taking Walt being five days old and taking out alone for the first time. And there I was hefting around a big box of produce from a local farmer. Walt strapped in cozily in a carrier on my chest. I remember thinking at the time, hey, this isn't so bad. This isn't so hard, actually. Maybe we can adapt this baby to our own lives instead of adapting ours to him. And it was wishful thinking, of course. Soon enough, we were hanging out with our friends less frequently, going to see bands and concerts less often, and we decided it was simply easier to be at home more often, too. Try as we might, we ended up having to adapt and rearrange our lives. Everything else in our lives became reordered around this new baby, as hard as we wanted to order our lives his life around us. And this ultimately wasn't a bad thing, of course. Now with two children, it's completely worth it. We've experienced love, friendship, meaning, and purpose in our lives in a way that never seemed possible before. There are deep joys along with deep heartaches. You don't have to be a parent to have experienced this either, because new relationships, our best and deepest relationships, really do reconfigure our lives in ways that force us to let go of our nearest and dearest commitments. But parenthood can be particularly costly, as many of us know. And for me, it continues to be costly, like literally costs lots of money, in addition to our time and energy. We've had to let go and sacrifice so much of what we had and who we are to experience this joy. But in welcoming this new life into our life, we had to let go of so much. Because as far as things go, children really do ruin everything. 
They ruin everything in the best way possible, of course, but they ruin everything. When a new life enters into our own, we have to shape our lives accordingly. And it's kind of like that in our scripture passage this morning. Here, Jesus enters the life of a man named Zacchaeus. And like a parent who is forced to adapt his life to a new child, Zacchaeus' life drastically changes. There's a major difference, though. Most parents would say that when a baby shows up, the cost, the struggle, the energy, and change a child brings is ultimately worth it. But when Jesus shows up, it seems to cost everything. Children ruin everything in the best possible way, but Jesus seems to ruin everything, period. Because Zacchaeus really had everything. He's a tax collector, and last week we talked about how tax collectors are universally reviled because they shake down the poor to funnel money back to the empire in Rome. They are hardship makers, and they are collaborators. Think of how much disdain we have for banks and bankers like Goldman Sachs, and you might have the idea, even though it's all legal, whether or not it's good and right and just is always up for debate. And Zacchaeus isn't just any tax collector, he's head tax collector, and our text says it's made him rich. No one makes money like Zacchaeus. He's the best money maker. He makes the best money, the best. I wonder if anybody got that. <laughs> I make the best money, the best. They love me. Anyway, uh, so he's set for life. But one day, this poor peasant rabbi makes his way through the neighborhood, and it turns everything upside down. There's something about Jesus that he's drawn to. Jesus is a captivating figure. Maybe he admires Jesus in his teachings, Maybe like Winston from Ghostbusters, he just loves Jesus' style. But he's got to see this guy. There's something about Jesus, and he's got to see this guy. But there's this crowd gathered around, and Zacchaeus, it says, is short in stature, so he can't see even on his tiptoes. Though according to Julius from Pulp Fiction, it's ambiguous as to whether Zacchaeus is the short one or Jesus is. No more movie references past this point. I thought I had just had to leave that in. Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters, we're good. Um, so Zacchaeus climbs this tree just to catch a glimpse. He wants to get a peek. And just as his head pops out from behind the crowd, Jesus points to him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and get down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus is coming for dinner. And like I said with the kids, it's kind of rude inviting yourself over to somebody's house. But that seems to be the way Jesus operates. He doesn't wait for an invitation to get tangled up in anybody's life. Some people grumble because Jesus is eating with a sinner like Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus is a crook and a traitor. But that doesn't seem to bother Jesus at all. Jesus doesn't care who he's seen with. And as soon as Jesus steps over the threshold into his house, something strange 
and unexpected happens. It doesn't say why exactly. But Zacchaeus is just standing there. And he makes this promise to Jesus. He says, I'm going to give half, I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor, he says. And if I've defrauded anyone, legal or not, I'll pay them back 400% of what I took four times. What started off as an admiration of Jesus from afar, appreciating and approving of Jesus by distance, has somehow turned into a complete rearrangement of Zacchaeus' life. Jesus is kind of like that new baby. We all love the idea of welcoming a new life into our own. We all love the idea of Jesus. But when it finally happens, it turns everything upside down. When Jesus walks into Zacchaeus' home, when he walks into his life, he gets so much more than he bargained for. Because Jesus ruins everything. Jesus ruins everything. He thought his life was good and he had everything he wanted. Jesus didn't say anything when he went in. He didn't do anything. He didn't strategically open the scriptures to a passage about money. There were no instructions. There was no guilt trip, no stern prophetic voice, no Christian education curriculum that suggested stewardship and generosity as a spiritual discipline. Jesus walks in and suddenly this guy is giving his stuff away and making amends to all the peoples he's hurt. Because Jesus ruins everything, right? And Jesus even has the gall, even though he's ruining this man's life, really, to announce that today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. How could this possibly be good news? Because it costs him everything. Well, not everything, but most, 51%. How could this possibly be good news? I think we are tempted in our culture to imagine that the spiritual life is something that is there to inject happiness into our lives. That's not a bad thing. Or to lift us up when we're feeling down. Also not a bad thing. To fix all our ills, to give us good morals, ones that put our feet back on the path of the straight and narrow so we can get ahead or get a leg up finally. And maybe it does sometimes. But it seems like with Jesus, things don't usually work out that way. Because... Jesus ruins everything. That should be your mantra. You should have that on your fridge. Jesus ruins everything. One of my favorite preachers, Will Willimon, tells the story of a man from one of his first congregations who once came to confide in him a secret that he kept bottled up for a long time, one that still weighed heavily on him. The man told him that while wandering home after a late night poker game, and a few drinks maybe, he had a stunning vision of the risen Christ, that Christ appeared to him vividly 
and it was as real as anything he'd ever seen. And even though this event shook him deeply, he'd never told anyone else about it in 10 years. And Willimon, I love him. He asked why he'd kept it, <laughs> kept it silent for so long. Were you worried about embarrassing yourself, he said? Or afraid others wouldn't believe you and mock you in disbelief? No, the man explained, no. The reason why I told no one was I was too afraid that it might be true. I was too afraid that it was true. And if it's true that Jesus has really risen and that he had come personally to me, what then? I'd have to change my whole life. I'd have to become some kind of a radical or something. And I love my wife and family, and I was scared I'd have to change to be somebody else. And it would destroy my family if the vision was real. I was scared that it was going to change my life. Now, I don't know if this guy really encountered the risen Christ like he says. I mean, he did say he was drinking and gaming at the same time. But I also wouldn't put it past somebody like Jesus. Because when Jesus arrives on the scene in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, he stands up in the synagogue and proclaims that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of, the sight, of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus is up to with Zacchaeus. God's mere presence in Jesus frees Zacchaeus, who is, the ca who is captive to the power of money and greed, and sets him free to live for fullness of life. He sets him free to live a life of generosity, compassion, love, and forgiveness. Because Jesus ruins everything in the best possible way. Because when we let the God we meet in Jesus into our homes, into our lives, like in the case of Zacchaeus, it seems to create more problems than solutions. Crazy things start to happen. When Jesus shows up, people end up selling possessions and giving their money away to the poor, like Zacchaeus. Jesus ruins everything. When Jesus shows up, people end up finding themselves in the midst of the worst of human life and suffering, offering grace, mercy, and working for justice. Because Jesus ruins everything in the best possible way. When Jesus shows up, people end up opening their hearts to loving and forgiving, unlovable, unforgivable people because Jesus ruins everything in the best possible way. When Jesus shows up, people end up loving their enemies, blessing their persecutors. People end up trading their favorite hatreds and closely held prejudices in for love of God and love of neighbor. Because Jesus ruins everything in the best possible way.
So, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful where you try to stick your head up in a crowd of people. Today we have come seeking a glimpse of the holy, the sacred, but have discovered that God is inviting herself into our homes. Today salvation has come to this house. Because when the unconditional love, the grace, the mercy of God shows up on our doorstep at our houses, when we open up the door and he makes a home in our lives, it's liable to turn our worlds upside down. We discover the life we thought we were living just wasn't life at all. And like a newborn baby whose arrival demands life to be reconfigured around them, Jesus ruins everything in the best possible way. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>